0: This is the Top Agents Playbook Podcast, episode 35. Welcome to the Top Agents Playbook Podcast, your source for the very best tools, tips, and ideas used by real estate's top performers. Now, here's your host, Ray Wood. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm about to play my interview with top agent Marcus Kimonello from Melbourne. But first, special thanks to Locked On for supporting me with the podcast. And you can get an awesome discount for life if you go to topagentsplaybook.com and hit the resources tab over on the right, top right, to access the special deal sign up link. Client feedback tells us that Locked On offers the very best user experience, and you can try it for free for 30 days and find out for yourself what all the excitement is about. We have Eric coming up May 22 and 23, that's 2016, on the Gold Coast. And I've heard a rumor that Frederick Eklund, the New York City real estate broker and Bravo TV reality star, will be heading down under to be one of the key speakers at the event this year. So look out for that one. The Locked On team have booked a double marquee at Eric, and we're planning to bring our developers to the event so our agent clients can meet the coders that actually make the software tick. And the team are really looking forward to it, I can tell you. So stick May 22 and 23 in your diary now. I'm coming over for the weekend and looking forward to catching up with everyone in Surfers Paradise. My one-on-one coaching program is well underway and my diary is now pretty much crossed out for many hours each week. But there are still a couple of places available, so please email me now if you'd like to know more. I've got some great interviews coming up, including one I did recently with my friend Jeff Grist from Sydney. Jeff's book... Sold above market, in fact it's right here. Listen. That's Jeff's book. I've got it in my hand. Sold Above Market is jumping off the bookstore shelves and he'll be telling us how he uses the book to attract leads and pre-sell himself to potential clients before turning up at a listing presentation. I caught up with the amazing Emmy Thiece last week, Emmy smashing it at Coronas Real Estate in Toowoomba, Queensland. And I know you'll love Emmy's terrific energy. I was buzzing after our session with all the cool info and ideas she shared, so look out for that one. This week, I'll be speaking with San Francisco-based real estate tech entrepreneur, Brad Inman. Brad is the founder of a number of tech startups, but he's probably best known for his deep knowledge of the North American real estate industry, and in particular, how technology is changing almost every aspect of the game. Well, Melbourne's inner southeastern suburbs are home to some of the finest properties in the country, I believe. And if you don't know suburbs like Armadale, Hawthorne, Malvern, Turak, South Yarra, even Glen Iris and Camberwell, they're filled with the leafy tree-lined avenues and street after street of multi-million dollar homes. And if you don't know suburbs like Armadale, Hawthorne, Malvern, Toorak, South Yarra, even Glen Iris and Camberwell... They are filled with leafy tree-lined avenues and street after street of beautiful million-dollar homes. And wherever you have luxury high-end real estate, you have lots and lots of luxury high-end agents all trying to compete for a slice of the market. In a recent interview with John McGrath that actually comes out later this month, I asked him why why the Melbourne property market was so hard to crack for the larger franchises from interstate. John says one of the reasons is that Melbourne agents are very well-connected with their clients and, in his view, some of the best in the world. I think Marcus Kiminello from Marshall White is at the very top of this list. There's a lot of takeaway gold in this session, but listen for how Marcus has recently put, I guess, a tighter focus on his contact list and how he's built a team and forged business partnerships to grow his personal brand in this super competitive market. Okay, let's do it. Well, Marcus Kimonello, welcome to the Top Agents Playbook podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, Ray, yourself? I'm very well, thank you mate and thanks uh, so much for your time this morning. No problem. Can we start at the start I guess, uh, how did you get into real estate?
1: Uh, I'll give you the short version, um, I came from a building background, always had the, uh, the desire to get into real estate but sort of took my time in uh, in taking that approach and tried numerous times, tried at numerous agencies and a lot of my competitors and couldn't even get an interview at some stage. Um, and finally, I had a bit of a breakthrough and uh, got an interview and got shortlisted down to a, the last, you know, I think it was the last 16, and the last eight, then four, then got down to two, and I, I missed the position. Right. And then, uh, then fortunately, the, the following week, the guy who uh, got the position over me decided he was going to move to London with his girlfriend. So um, it's referred to as the, the Stephen Bradbury approach. Right. But, uh, the guy in front <laughs> fell over, and I took his place, and the rest is history.
0: You were the last man standing. Be correct. Excellent.
1: So when was that? That was back in 2002. Right. Um, Yeah, so now I'm sort of entering my 13th year of real estate, Um, and uh, it's been good. And and look, probably the reality is the first five to six years, I was treading water and thought things would just happen without me actually making them happen. And uh, I was was pleasantly surprised to think uh, uh, after that time that I could actually do better, and then uh, really applied myself about eight years ago, and,
0: um, and
1: then really took off.
0: So you're with Marshall White in, in High Street uh, Armidale at the moment. Um, well, you've been there for, for some time. Um, yes. Where, with whom did you start?
1: I started with an agency called Colin Sims.
0: Okay. That, uh, are,
1: are still around today. They were very big in the early 2000s around uh, my previous marketplace around Burundar, which yes. is Hawthorne on Campbell, Canterbury. Yeah. They slowly sort of wound up over progressively um, after we left in those areas, but are still in existence today. Matter of fact, are uh, um, form part of our the, the Marshall White Group now. Okay.
0: Okay. Interesting. How the world turns. Um. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So, those first six years, you said you were treading water. That's that's a that's a time that interests me because so many people listening to this podcast will be able to identify with that. Um. Was there any particular catalyst, Marcus, that that made things change? That sorry,
1: right? So the make things change, do you say?
0: Yeah. What was the cause for? You said after about six years, uh, you you kind of it was
1: it was, it was probably uh, it was an it was an internal thing rather than an external uh, thing. I um, I sort of really made the decision that if I was going to do this, I was going to do it properly, and I wanted to be one of the best going around. Um, you know, we always talk about potential being a, you know, such a dangerous thing that, you know, numerous people said to me, you've got so much potential, you could be the next best thing, uh, etc. So I was looking you know, at those pats on my back. So I just thought um, that it would just come naturally at some point in time without me really applying myself. Yeah. It got to a point out of about six years, and I was probably 31 then, uh, 30, 31. I thought, you know what, this is this is a turning point. These are, you know, I've gone through the formative years. I've I've wasted some time. I've done okay, but I haven't really applied myself. I always thought I was running at a at about a thirty percent capacity, and um, but getting by and you know enjoying life. And then I thought, no, I've really got to make a play for this. I wanted to have a family with my wife or then girlfriend and all those sorts of things. So I really started to take some focus and in, uh, in, in, in that was I said, a very internal thing so what I decided to do was really apply myself and you know, I started to look outside um, not only our own agency but the best in the business and best in other industries and learn you know, formative habits, um, started to really um, go down the self-learning path and applied myself and I you know, just always knew I had to outwork and out-train everybody else. And that, that's where it really took off. Not immediately, of course. Uh, I know we're a sort of a a society that wants instant gratification with everything we do, but uh, it took some time. Uh, And then about 18 months later, it really clicked. Um, And once that clicked, it's never stopped. The momentum has not ceased. Um, but I still do the same things that I did in those in that in that transition phase, going from mediocre to good agent. Yeah. Um, I still apply those same principles today, but probably in a more efficient and advanced method.
0: Okay, well, I think um, I want to come back to that because that's that uh, that awakening or that transition is uh, is something that really interests me, and I'm sure it's going to interest everybody listening. But um, you call yourself a good agent; I'd say you're in the top one percent of agents uh, nationally. So you're a little better than good can you share uh, your gci for calendar year 2015 give us a, a ballpark
1: yeah i'd probably at the moment be sitting around 3.8 in figures okay um maybe over four we're based on the uh, after we collaborate this month's numbers
0: all right okay well the year's not quite finished yet so yep. you've got a little bit of time a few more hours to go yeah um so that time marcus when the transition occurred, it was uh, something of an internal awakening, I guess, a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Did you have a mentor, or was there any specific motivation around around that time? Uh, interestingly enough,
1: no, I, I didn't. I had looked people in my lives I, I looked to outside of family that um, I saw had done you know, done very well in life, and you know, the old you know, the old cliche saying that success leads clues, and it's it's very evident in, in every industry and in every. Uh, whether it be sporting, sporting, or whether it be uh, in business, and I looked at those people that, uh, and I still look to today. Um, but it wasn't anyone specifically as a mentor. I did obviously I worked alongside James Toston for about 18 months, who's now one of my business partners, and I you know, learned some really great habits through James. But then I wanted to create. I, I didn't want to be um, as great as James is. I just didn't want to be a clone. I didn't want to be a replica of James. Of course. So I, I went about looking at other agents. How they got to the figures they got to and took uh, and applied things that they did and I felt very comfortable in doing to my own business. So I'm probably uh, a a bit of an eclectic mix of of many different agents um, in terms of the the traits and the traits that I felt that would be my strong suit. Um, And uh, look, I've got probably two people in my life um, being one being James Connell, who's um, basically the CEO of our company. James is uh, on a personal and business level. Has been a great mentor, and then Michael Sheargold as a as a trainer. Uh, I often catch up with Michael one on one throughout the year, and just you know sit down and do a, a bit of a breakfast workshop with with Michael about you know how we can keep fine tuning the business.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. So, at that time when when things took off, you obviously acquired some success habits. Do you remember um, specifically what two or three of those things could have been? The, the differences that you made
1: yeah the, the The biggest was um the the really cleansing of my database. I really wanted to get good at client nurturing because you know we're always as agents we're all about chasing the next thing, you know the next new thing, the next yep. shiny thing, we're very easily distracted by that, yeah and we often forget about those that we've already had great experiences with and really getting more out of that. Um, you know and that's why we call a lot of you know previous clients orphans yep. because they're out there for another agent to pick up and run with. and um, so what I focused on was my, my my past experiences rather than potential new, and those past experiences brought me new experiences. and what I mean by that, the more time and attention I paid to previous clients, the more they were referring business to me. And that is today my biggest vehicle of uh, of business is the referral. So I cleansed my database from just shy of 900 people to well into the falls, around 450. Um, so basically halved it and really focused on those who I wanted to do business with, who I knew would be very um, influencers in my market or had really great homes to sell. And they were basically my three criteria. The people that you know, that I, I didn't want to focus on that type of property or that price point anymore, I'd pass them on to someone else in the office or set them free, so to speak. Okay. I'd, I'd remove contact from them. Yeah, was that hard and to do? Difficult. Oh, really yeah. difficult, but exceptionally yeah, okay. liberating at the same time. Okay. I'm <laughs> um, thinking, oh, I don't need to deal with you anymore, but if you do want to deal with me, you'll be coming to me rather than me chasing them if you're not what I mean. Right. So oh. if they're coming to you and so we want to use you, you get them on your terms. And that goes on to another layer. I'll take on some of those clients that have perhaps set them free provided they met my clean business checklist. It was the right fee, right property, right area, right marketing, right motivation. So if they met that criteria or majority of that criteria, I'd still consider them uh, as a, something that I'd consider taking on, but not all. Um, and that that really, the first, basically it was a, it was a step backwards to take a significant leap forward. When I worked with those people intimately and got to know right who are the key influencers in my market, the you know like attract like. So I was getting better business, I was getting better houses by sticking with that type of database. And I right. still got the same principle today. My database ran up to back into the nines, um, probably no less than three or four months ago. I then went through another cleansing about six weeks ago. I've got that number down to about 400 again. So I've really refined it once more. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, yes, it, it, it's difficult to do, but what it is, it allows me to spend better quality time with those key clients, those key influencers, uh, and people that I really enjoy doing business with and I know will speak um, uh, speak of me in high regard out in the marketplace, which brings me business as well.
0: OK, let me just let me just unpack the um, the communication side of things, your your relationship with with this list that that you vetted down to those people that you want to that you want to uh, that you want to work with. Um, what kind of communication uh, are you doing?
1: Um Throughout the year, so at the moment, what we just have to just give you a, a good idea on the forecast of 2016. Yeah. So what I've done, I've sat down with um, my sort of marketing and EA manager um, yesterday to forecast the calendar of communication next year. So if you know, if you plan it, it happens. So we've we've forecast our uh, plan of communication to clients next year, whether it's in written or verbal form. So those key clients, and they're categorized, we've got my VIPs, we've got my buyer-sellers, we've got my client-nurture clients, and then everybody else. Um, so there's different levels of communication. My VIPs are people that I will speak to probably on a weekly basis, but I can often now call them to get advice because they're professionals in their own field. Right. I might be call, calling them on a, on a, on a social aspect. Or talking about something, they're all got interest in real estate. So very informal discussions, um, and they're the type of people I go, well, you know, you're around, let's catch up for a coffee. So it's becoming a an associate rather than a client. Okay. Those people are a regular, uh, unstructured contact, if I can put it that way, because they're in my sort of C O I. We're always in some level of communication. Then, um, so on a on a database perspective, whether it's my particular newsletter that goes out on a on a bi-monthly basis, some top sales that go out. So that every so bi-monthly, there is a, a tangible hard copy um, a document that will be sent out to my clients in the form of a, what I call the prestige review that I do personally, which is about an eight-page document, glossy that we get printed. We I spend a bit of money on my own prom, promotion, not a billboard bus stop, side of the bus type of promotion, but on um, you know, beautiful documents to, to send, uh, send clients um, or self-promotion of, of a, uh, successful results in the area.
0: Okay. okay. And
1: so that, that's the, the plan that's rolled out for next year. So that communication is, is certainly written verbal and face-to-face. So the, we've forecast what that will be. All my, my tasks in my database being RPS, They're all set for next year for that client communication. So, depending on the category of client, uh, I would say someone who is a buyer seller, who is someone who is actively looking and is also looking to sell once they've acquired a home, is someone that I'll have weekly contact with. You know, they will have, and when I say weekly phone call as a minimum, they'll have email communication, uh, alerts to new homes, alerts to um, new listings throughout the Marshall White network as well. So, there's probably three to four. Types of contacts per week with that type of client. Okay, for
0: that active. Can you send a uh, text message out through your CRM?
1: Uh, should you say to we?
0: Yeah can you can you batch out? Yes, do, you, yes. do, do you use that facility as well? We do. Yeah, um,
1: depends on the, the price point. Depends on the, the type of property as well. Because okay. Um, anything too prestige, um, it probably doesn't sit well with them. Right. Um, they prefer the, the intimacy of a, of a phone call and sure. that type of intimate service.
0: Well, I guess that probably goes to knowing your market fairly well, exactly. which you do. Um, now, most of the property that you're offering uh, for sale is, is by auction.
1: Yeah, no, interestingly enough, throughout organisation, yes, it would probably sit somewhere in the 85 to 90% of all sales that occur. Right. With my own personal business, it's probably 30%. So I do a combination of auction, expressions of interest, private auction, uh, off market, under construction, off the plan. Okay. So there's a variety.
0: Okay. And um, your vendor paid marketing, what kind of, what would be an average budget for, for one of your properties?
1: Uh, I would push. Uh, I'm probably big on that. Uh, anywhere in the order of twenty to thirty thousand dollars as an average for a campaign. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, I've seen some of your marketing, and it's uh, it's stunning. Um, the photos. Uh, I mean, the photo tells the story. The the photo sells yep. the property off often so, so often. But uh, your images oh, are amazing.
1: Uh, know, big big believer in you know, obviously. If you're, you know, particularly with my clients, if, you, if we're going to do this and we're going to embark on this process, let's do it well. Let's do yeah. it once. Yeah. Let's do it properly. If it means spending, you know, and I know for for some agents out there, the thought of twenty to thirty thousand dollars on marketing is is beyond reality. But even if it's spending an extra five hundred dollars, an extra fifteen hundred dollars to position your home much greater and far more visible than your competition, of course, you're going to get better attention from the market. Yeah. So it's, it's an, it's, it is an easy sell, but it's not actually really a sell. You're actually giving them the right advice, and I think too many agents are afraid to give the right advice um, rather than just telling them what they want to hear, which is, which is, is very common in, in all price points uh, and all areas of the marketplace everywhere throughout Australia.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, what what I'll do as well, actually, is I'm going to put some of your the images of the properties that you've been marketing on uh, onto the show notes uh, here, so everybody can check check them out. So if you're listening to, to this, have have a look at the quality of, of the images that Marcus uh, presents for his clients. I, I think they're stunning. And I guess it's the, it's the same old story, Marcus. Uh, when you're marketing a property, um, the real enemy are the other properties out there for sale as well. So you're really helping your, your sellers compete in the best possible way.
1: Correct. Absolutely.
0: Um, one of the things that uh, that uh, when I've heard you speak, you talk about, uh, and, and it's a theme that I love, but and I think it's a theme that you love too, you talk about... Uh, and I think I'll get the quote right here. Your success today is determined by everything you did yesterday. Just walk us through that in, in your own words.
1: Yep, I think too many people uh, let today go and go, no, look, tomorrow will be fine. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But everything, as I always say, everything you do today will determine what tomorrow looks like. And what happens today will determined by what you did yesterday. And... So a lot of people go, you know, well, I'll just put it off, I'll wait, I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow never happens. So you've always got to be thinking of looking after your future self. So what I'm doing today, is this going to assist me moving forward, or is it just delaying that, you know, something that I need to do? Whether it's that last 10 phone calls, whether it's that difficult phone call to make, whether it's that house that you've been wanting to approach and knock on the door and see if they, you know, would remotely consider selling you just got to do it you know and while it's there get it off your chest and one of the we've had a, a business advisor in in our office of late and he he's got a great saying saying move towards the tension and you know tension for us are those difficult things in real estate difficult conversations with vendors yeah um, things you know we might have core reluctancy you've got to move towards that tension because you move towards that tension you relieve tension you know what I mean you you don't yeah. have this 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 dark cloud over your head thing. I've got to do this, I've got to do this and then what happens, you just never do it, you avoid it. So I'm big about really just getting it done you know, and just move, like you've got this list and I'm big on lists, on to-do lists. So I sit there and I write one out every night and review it in the morning, add to it, tick a few things off and get through it. Just, I, I, there's nothing more satisfying than getting at the end of the day and going, I've ticked everything off, you know, whether it's five things, whether it's 25 things, I've ticked it off and you know what, tomorrow's going to be better for it. And too many agents don't, too many agents will tick three or four things off and then roll another 20 in tomorrow. That, that list will never, ever disappear.
0: They let themselves and, off the hook.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I'm big, and often when I talk, I talk about um, don't leave until you achieve. Yeah. So, achieve, set out to achieve like something that. every day. Yeah. And you know, if it is those last few phone calls, Just don't go. It's an extra 10 minutes. Just don't leave the office. Don't leave your car. Sit out the front of your house. Get those five phone calls done. It's one of the most satisfying things you do, and it's going to take you closer to your next successful transaction.
0: Okay, cool. I love that. Tell me this. After you reinvented yourself, just go back again. Yep. How long was it before you started building a team, hiring an assistant, and and growing your business within the business?
1: One of the, it was probably one of the first things I did.
0: Right.
1: I really, I really went out on a limb. I probably couldn't afford to take someone on, but I did, and it was the best thing I ever did. And she's still with me today. Yeah. And um, so we we have grown and, and, and built together over that time. she's progressed with no real estate experience and administration yeah. experience to, to now build herself into being uh, a great agent. Right. And um, I heard this somewhere recently. And I didn't know it at the time, but it's it's so true that someone someone asked the question, when is the best time to take on an assistant? And the the answer was, the best response I've ever heard, when you decide, when you make the decision that you're in real estate for life. Yeah. Because
0: yeah.
1: if you're not going to take someone on, you're not serious about it. Whether you've been in it a year or you've been in it five years or 10, uh, I fear to think you've been in it a 10 and don't have an assistant by now, but... The leverage it provides is, is really significant, and I often get asked the question, "How do I actually create that role for that person? What do they do?" And the simple thing is, you sit there and you work out what you do every day. You write down a list of things that you shouldn't be doing and you don't want to do.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a job description. Okay. Then, but you know, if you go, "I like writing letters," don't do that. You got to focus on the dollar productive activity. So that's dollar productive activity, and it should be you know listing, prospecting, selling, communicating with vendors, communicating with past clients, etc. Yeah, that should be your key criteria every single day. Everything else that's non-dollar productive should be a job description for your PA. The leverage you get out of that, and yes, look, you know, I, I, often people say, "Look, I'm going to take someone full time." Well, don't take someone on part time. You know, ease your way into the transition of actually having a PA and learning how to work with them. Yeah, because. Oh. In this business, one plus one equals four. It doesn't equal two.
0: Yeah. So many people I speak to. It's interesting you say that so many agents I speak to um, have actually tried hiring somebody or working with working with an assistant, and for whatever reason, it crashed and burned, and yep. they're very reluctant to go to go back to that situation. A lot of these personalities, I'd have to say, Marcus, are. Uh, you know like I guess I call it the superhero syndrome they they want to do everything and, and can't let go and it's and it's never perfect. so what would you say to those guys? How would you advise them?
1: Um, they are the common denominator in all those situations yeah so the issue doesn't really lie with the with the assistant uh, it, it, it it lies with the person who is hiring the assistant so that's where the issue lies so they're got to have a really hard look at themselves and train them appropriately yeah you know have expectations. Don't give someone tasks. Give them responsibilities. Responsibilities are viewed in a much different way than a task.
0: Yeah.
1: So for those people, you've got to have some real clarity about what... And they're going to be things that you probably won't want to part with, okay? So take some time. Give them shared responsibilities with you so they know how you you want it done and how you want it complete. But that's the only way you can do it. But I've heard of guys that have had 20 or 30 and none of them have worked out. And the issue is always with the assistant. It's never with them. But yeah, the, about know, that. <laughs> the, the assistant doesn't know what their expectations of that person are. They don't share it with them. Yeah. So I think you've got to share the expectation and show them what you expect and how you would like it done.
0: And like you said, give them ownership of the tasks uh, or give them uh, the responsibilities rather um, so they know what's going on.
1: Yeah. And look, I think you've got an expectation. The thing you, you've got to understand mistakes will happen. Yep. Things will go wrong. It's never going to be perfect, okay, but how the person reacts, deals with it, is really critical. Um, so I think if you have that mindset, okay, and, and acknowledge to them that mistakes will happen, we're not perfect, okay, but if things go wrong, bring it to my attention, let's deal with it. Let's work out how we can minimize any collateral damage from this mistake. Okay. And I think if, if you let them know, not walk on eggshells about mistakes, that we, you, we can... We can we can counsel. We can we can deal with mistakes. They're less, actually less likely to make mistakes.
0: Now things have things have grown obviously with your team to to how many and what are the roles?
1: We're now to six as of the start of this year, just gone or about the end of the first quarter. Yep. So I have a an EA and marketing manager. Right. She works on new projects and a lot of EA stuff is a lot of my personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Then we've got a, a team administration person, um, and that they, they are, but those two are just my—I call them my angels. Yep. They rule my world.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, then I've got Nicole, who's been with me now for um, some seven years. Right. She is. Um, she's gone on to be a real. It's, it's it's actually a real strength in our market. She's a real buyer specialist. Okay. Um, she identifies opportunities, but her real strength is working with buyers. She can get out there and list with the best of them. But her real strength is is working with buyers and matching buyers to property, which in our market, um, and I remember this this saying some time ago, um, those who own the, those who control the buyers will control the market, particularly when it changes. So we want to ensure that we've got a great grasp on buyers. So that's her specialist role. We've got another campaign manager, Brendan, who's just started. He's been in real estate now five years. He's in his early 20s, and he's coming in to specialize in in, anything that sort of $1.5 to $2.5 million price point for our team in terms of management. Um, And then we've also got Matt, who is a bit of a cadet. So he's come in to be a bit of a, a concierge for our clients look after any needs they have final inspections, uh, building inspections, some of the second inspections, and also pick up a little bit of the slack at times when we're exceptionally busy. So oh. it's, what we've pr- tried to provide is for each person we take on provides leverage for someone else within the team.
0: Okay, okay. Let me ask you this this next question and then then we'll wind up, but I'm, I'm interested to know. How would you advise somebody who's who's even new to real estate? Or they're struggling, and I like asking this question because um, I think everybody in real estate can, can use a lift from time to time. But what, what advice would you give that person?
1: Um, I think you, you've got to set out to know what you want and what you want to be. Um, the biggest issue that lies with agents, whether they've been in a, as you said, they're, they're new to the industry or they have been around for 20 years and are struggling, the biggest issue lies between their ears. And it's usually their frame of mind, their attitude towards things that really stop them moving forward. So we see some new people coming into the industry that just have all guns blazing. But you know what? They're unblinked. They're unbiased. They're blank canvas. They absorb new learnings and apply them, where a lot of those that have been around for a very long time struggle to do so. They still you know, retain their old habits. But I think it's all about um, becoming more time efficient, because everything in this industry can be learned. Yeah. And, and even more so today, e.g., with your podcast, what, what is available online, what's available in seminars, like you can learn the you know encyclopedia of how to be a great real estate agent in a matter of months. Yeah. But then it's about becoming really effective with your time, because that is the only thing that we all have the same amount of, and becoming efficient with it, but also having the right attitude that that rule can do, will do. I'm not going to hesitate type of attitude because I often talk about this because I have numerous agents throughout the state that come and catch up with me for one-on-ones is the, the, the only thing that's really ever stopping you is what you think the worst case will be. Right. But if you really sit there and go, what is, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, someone's going to hang up on you. Someone's going to abuse you. Someone's going to slam a door in your face. It's not like you're on the operating table. That's the worst thing that can happen. But what's the best thing that can happen? People go. I can't believe your timing. We're just thinking about selling. This is, you know, this is meant to be.
0: Yeah. That's
1: the best thing that can happen. So you're going to get the majority of the doors in the face, the hang ups on on the phone before you're going to get strike one of those gold. But you've got to remember, you're getting close to that all the time. So that's that really comes back to to attitude and and how you go about your business. So I think putting aside the learnings, which is inevitable for anyone that's in the right organisation too. That it's about applying yourself and becoming exceptionally efficient with your time. Because more efficient, like if you can do more in a day than the other agent, and it's inevitable you're going to become better than them and you're going to become more successful than them.
0: Well, even I guess even I totally agree. Even more so if you, are, uh, you've got a young family now, uh, and yes. you're looking for for more and more time. Um, you know, real estate is a, is a, is a weekend gig pretty much. So. You you walk this balance between wanting to spend time with your family and and doing the work thing. How do you manage that? I I work in blocks. So, what I do is we're very cyclical in our market around school holidays. Yep.
1: Um, Even my my children aren't at school yet, they will be very shortly. But um, I work when our clients are having downtime, I try and have downtime. So, you know, a typical winter and summer school holidays, they are interstate beach houses real estate's the last thing on their mind. So I often book in advance, like I've done with my uh, marketing calendar and communications um, holidays. So I ensure that I have a good eight to 10-week sprint of hard work and then I know I've got a couple of weeks off with just focused 100% family time. Lovely. Um, that's, That's the counterbalance. Rather than trying to squeeze a few hours here and a few hours there and, you know, I think my my wife understands and appreciates what we do, my children are starting to, um, that we have, that's one thing we reward ourselves. We reward ourselves with really great holidays um, after the sacrifice that we make for a good you know, eight to 10 weeks. And you know, so we have four really great family holidays a year, and they're anywhere from 10 days to three weeks. Um, and everyone's working towards it. So it's a buy-in from the family, go, right, where are we going to go next? You know, we're going to plan, we're going to talk about the holidays. And we speak about it all the time. My children got a countdown of, we're going to Hawaii in, a, in in about a fortnight's time. And, you know, the countdown is on, the planning's on. So it, that, that gets some buy-in with the family. Yeah. By, and knowing that, all right, why Dad's not home tonight or why Dad has to work on the weekend is because he does this, we go there. So there is a bit of... Uh, not just that he's just working full-time, we just don't see him, but he's working towards something that we're going to commonly share.
0: Okay, okay. Um, final question, what's the future of real estate look like? This. So uh, we live in a world that's, uh, where we've seen so many changes in the last even five years, even three years. There's crazy yeah. things happening at the moment. Have you got any thoughts on, on how the future of our industry looks? That's
1: a great question because the word disruption has been thrown around a lot of late Yeah. Um, you know, in, in every industry, in every sector, um, at the end of the day, okay, if it, we are a an ex, real estate like an extension of your social network. It is a it's a personable business. People, I don't think that we're going to come of a day where people make judgments on exactly who they're going to appoint based on what they see online. Yes, it's going to be a a tool. It's going to be an assistance, but I don't think it's an uh, an or strategy. It's more like an and strategy. Right. So. I think um, as long as you maintain relationships, because it is it is a personable business, you maintain relationships. This industry won't really change uh, drastically. I think there will be those that there'll be the, the shockwaves, there'll be those ones that will come and go very quickly with with an, with an online strategy. But I do inevitably feel this, particularly our market, and I'm sure many other markets are based on relationships more than technology. Yeah. Technology will assist. But I don't know many people that would try and sell their home theirself, um, go through the, the grief that we have to go through dealing with buyers and time wasters. There may become a, you know, a small percentage of the market that inevitably do so, but I think we're here to stay.
0: Totally agree. Marcus, thank you very much for your time today. You're a real thought leader in our industry. Uh, I, know so, right. I know so many people uh, look to you for, uh, for inspiration, advice and, and, and ideas, no pressure. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to, to say th- thank you very much. Um, I'm going to post. Uh, there's, there's a great uh, YouTube video of you speaking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend everybody check that out, and I'm going to post a few a few other links uh, onto the uh, onto the show notes at Top Agents Playbook as well. Have a great Christmas. Have a great break in Hawaii. Thank you again so much for your time, and I look forward You're to ca- I look forward to catching up soon. Perfect. Thanks, Ray. Okay, mate. Bye bye. Bye. I'm Emmy Thies, and you've been listening to the Top Agents Playbook Podcast. Well, she races dirt bikes. She's a real estate rock star and one of the exciting new breed of agents that everyone is talking about, and she's on the show next week. Subscribe to the Top Agents Playbook Podcast at iTunes now so you can listen to my interview with Emmy Thies the darling of the darling downs, and also get access to a heap of fresh and awesome real estate success content coming your way each week.